Hey everybody, welcome back to the Double Down WNBA podcast. Eric Nemchak here with Stephen Trinkwald. Stephen, it is that time of year again. WNBA playoffs right around the corner. We're going to be looking at some first round matchups here on Saturday, August 13th. While the playoffs haven't officially started yet, uh, we're not going to be recording in the middle of the week. So yeah, what do we got today? Yeah, so basically we'll record this in two parts. We'll record the matchups we know tonight and then the other two uh, once they're settled tomorrow evening. Probably just release it at, at one time. But we'll start with Seattle and Washington here. Easily, I think, the most anticipated of the first round series. Oh, yeah. Seattle won the season series 2-1. Seattle had a 104.3 offensive rating in the series compared to just a 97 offensive rating for Washington. So big picture overall, Seattle kind of vastly outplayed Washington, even though all the games you know, were, were somewhat close aside from the first one, I would say, that was in Seattle. The overview of this team statistically, they're, they're pretty similar, right? They are both elite defenses and you know, for the season at least, kind of middling offenses here. But one thing that we had kind of asked in the uh, Contenders episode a few weeks back is, can this Seattle team balance offense and defense? And they've been much better about doing so of late, especially, you know, since getting Tina Charles, frankly. It's been a lot better uh, as of late. And I know both of us kind of, were kind of lukewarm on the Tina Charles acquisition, and it was not going great for the first few games, but she's really gotten acclimated. You can tell. Uh, she's looked much better lately, particularly when playing alongside Brianna Stewart. You know, putting her in that starting lineup was a move that was very widely criticized, but it's been going great. Charles and Stewart, when they're on the court together, on the season, have a net rating of 21.3 in just under 300 minutes. Lately, last five games, 35.7 net rating in 118 minutes. That's undeniably good. And, uh, you know, the Storm have also been playing a lot less uh, zone defense lately. You know, when they first got Tina Charles, they were playing a ton of zone, and which was rightfully being criticized. And I think the main question, Stephen, we had was not about Tina Charles on offense, it was Tina Charles on defense. But, you know, they haven't been playing zone as much lately, which suggests that I would say she's getting more comfortable on that side of the ball as well. And I think that will be a key factor in this series. Yeah, definitely a level of comfort, I think, that was not there Obviously, understandably, when you're playing a completely different offensive style, uh, yeah, defensive, defensive style, I should say, um, a, a different defensive style than like most of the league plays. You know, this is a very aggressive turnover forcing and kind of really putting pressure on opposing offenses here. But they had been great defensively all along. And over the past 15 games, they have kind of found that balance a little bit more. Third in offense and third in defense over those last 15 games, whereas you know, this Mystics team is kind of still struggling a little bit offensively. You know, they are definitely better in those games where Lene Deladon plays. You know, there's still that pretty stark difference here. But, you know, the numbers just kind of suggest that Seattle's a little bit more of a complete team. How are you feeling kind of going to the series? Well, first thing that comes to mind is that Seattle, I don't think anybody really wants to play Seattle right now. They're hot. They are, like you said, playing very well on both sides of the ball, which is something that we had a question about. Can they balance offense and defense? They have been balancing offense and defense. You know, they gave Chicago a total butt whooping. They gave Minnesota a total butt whooping the other day. Um, they're getting hot at the right time. And going back to that that familiarity word you used, uh, they've got, I think, much more high-end talent than Washington does. And, you know, the, the question about that is, are there going to be diminishing returns? And I think maybe at the start of the Tina Charles tenure in Seattle, there there were some diminishing returns there. Not so anymore. They're playing much, much, much better as a unit. And it's just a, a lineup that 
who do, who do you defend and who do you not defend? I mean, I, I, we probably know who you don't defend, but you know what I'm saying? Like, they can hurt you in so many different ways. As you said, there are so many players in that lineup that can, quote-unquote, get a bucket, and Washington just doesn't really have that, you know? Well, let's get into it a little bit in terms of what are these teams going to do kind of to to stop the other team offensively. When Seattle has the ball, and this I think we would agree is kind of a more balanced offense, you know, they have more players that can kind of finish plays as well as create for themselves. I think that is a clear advantage over this Washington team in terms of Washington does not really have a lot of self-creators, although they do have some pretty good play finishers, and then obviously Elena Deladon. But other than that, it's looking a little bit tough. But for Washington, you know, how, how are you going about kind of defending these folks in terms of like who you have matching up? Well, this is kind of the beauty of that Washington perimeter defense. Uh, they've been kind of putting out all three of their, their perimeter starters, Clark, Cloud, and Atkins, as all defense nominations. And I mean, I think each of them have a pretty good case. There's a lot, a lot of switchability there. Granted, Washington under Mike Tebow has always been a team that has liked switching on defense. But here you have three of the best defenders at their respective positions switching out there. So I don't think there's any wrong way for the Mystics to really approach this. Did you have something in mind? Yeah, I I did a little bit. I think the way that I would kind of approach this is putting Alicia Clark, who I think is your slowest defender laterally, but definitely has experience guarding the point of attack, guarding point guards. I mean, she played with Sue Bird for a long time and a player who you were often kind of hiding on the weakest option defensively. Um, So Clark has a lot of experience just kind of guarding ones. And I don't really think of Sue Bird as a player that's going to like kill that matchup, uh, you know, really blow by Alicia Clark a ton or, or kind of overwhelm her with athleticism. She's not going to be putting any pressure on the rim. Yeah, exactly. And and kind of taking advantage of, and I think Clark, like you're saying, has a, an all-defense case, but is definitely, you know, the least lateral of the three of, of these defenders that we're yes. talking about. Um, so I think Sue will, will probably face the weakest option that they have out there at all times, whether it's Clark or Shatori Walker, Kimbrough. I think I would go with Natasha Cloud as the primary assignment on Jewel Lloyd, who is obviously, you know, Seattle's go-to perimeter scorer. And Cloud, I think, has the strength to hang with Lloyd, has the athleticism to hang with Lloyd. And then Atkins, you know, I think is probably the best help defending guard in the WNBA. And I think you want to put her on Gabby Williams and have her be the one that makes life tough for you know, Brianna Stewart and Tina Charles and Jewel Lloyd as a help defender and, you know, maybe pay a little bit less attention to Gabby Williams when she doesn't have the ball. Yeah, and that's what I was alluding to when I said earlier, you probably know who they're going to help off of or not not really guard as closely on offense. So how about the front court defense? Because obviously Seattle, Washington is going to have their hands full with Tina Charles and Brianna Stewart. I think Shakira Austin is a good defender, especially for a rookie. Elena Deladon is a good defender you know, relatively speaking, how, how do they match up there? I mean, what, what do you think? I think, you know, conventional wisdom is you just kind of match straight up. I think Elena Deladon, I think she's better than capable. I think she's a, a good defender. Uh, and I think she's done a really good job on both Brianna Stewart and Tina Charles when they've been matched up in this series this season. Uh, so I guess my question is like, is it worth putting Elena Deladon on Tina Charles, who has not really had too much success going at Elena Deladon this season, most of her success comes against, you know, Shakira Austin or Maisha Hines-Allen or Elizabeth Williams. 
So do you think it's worth putting Elena Deladon on Charles to just do what you can to take Charles out of the game, put your, you know, no disrespect, but your inferior defender of the two in Austin and, and Deladon? That's probably maybe controversial to say that Austin is a, an inferior defender, but I think it's just like a one-on-one defender. I think she probably is. Uh, so do you put your your slightly worse defender on Brianna Stewart, but also focus more of your help attention, you know, Atkins shading off of Gabby, Clark shading off a of Subert, or, or vice versa, and, and this team's guard depth can kind of rotate so quickly and so succinctly. Do you kind of put the one-on-one attention on Tina Charles because that's sort of the X factor in the series probably? Like we know Brianna Stewart is just going to be, you know, the best player in the league, so maybe focus your attention on, on her a little bit of a different way? Or, or do you think it's probably makes just more sense to play Elena Deladon, you know, on your best player? And then Tina Charles, who is maybe a little bit more, I don't want to say perimeter based than, than Stewie, obviously, but like her perimeter op- uh, plays will come more as like spot ups and, and Austin's maybe a yeah. little bit more laterally quick recovering out on those. The thing that I, I was thinking of when you were talking about that is, remember when we talked about Elena Deladon's defense, we were like, yeah, we think she's, Kind of underrated defensively, actually, but just not on the perimeter. I think when Brianna Stewart is on the perimeter, that's going to be a big problem for Washington because, you know, Seattle loves to run that play where they get Stewart uh, a three, like up, up around the top of the key, uh, coming off screens, off the ball. And I'm not sure Deladon can hang with that. Uh, and Stewie is also one of the few bigs in the league that will, like, run an inverted pick and roll and kind of actually handle and yes. initiate on the perimeter as well. Yes, so I don't think there's a perfect answer here. Of course, when you're going up against Brianna Stewart, there is never a perfect answer. I would honestly say play Tina Charles straight up, one-on-one. Uh, you know, saying like, oh, make Tina Charles beat you, that's maybe a little bit of a cliche there because Tina Charles can beat you. I would well, say well, put I think Del- what you really want is Tina Charles to be a jump shooter because when she's really yes. going to beat you is when she decides that she's going to just put you in the goal because that's when she's absolutely at her best. And she can do that to, you know, just about anybody on this squad but I think she's going to have more success doing that against Austin if she decides to than she will against Deladon who has a little bit more strength and obviously can just challenge vertically with her size and her length as, and, as well as any player in the league and she's got the experience too you know Deladon is a player who doesn't really follow that often whereas Austin I could see her getting into foul trouble in a high leverage situation like this so that's that's another thing to, to keep in mind there because if Austin gets in foul trouble then you need to look at your bench and Heinz Allen isn't going to be able to guard any of those players I'm not sure if Elizabeth Williams is going to really play at all. I mean, the the minutes distribution, Williams 6.9 minutes, Heinz Allen 17.3 nice. minutes, Austin 23.9 minutes. That was in the season series between these two teams. So I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if Williams just falls out of the rotation completely. Yeah, like I said, I don't think there's really a perfect answer for this. But you're right. If Tina Charles becomes a spot-up jump shooter... Yes, she has extended her range out to the three-point line, which is good. But is that where does that rank? Where does that shot rank in Seattle's offensive hierarchy? You know what I mean? Is that is a Tina Charles spot-up three a shot that they're going to be hunting? I don't think so. And if it is, you know that's that's probably still a win for the Washington defense. I mean, she's more than capable of making that shot, but it definitely I think strikes both of us as one where, you know, if if she's taking a ton of those every single game. She'll probably win you a game doing that, and she'll probably lose you a game doing that. The shooting just kind of waxes and wanes like that. She's not a lights-out three-point shooter. You definitely, as an offense, kind of want her more on the inside and, and around the rim. And the definitely. the three-point shot is more of like, okay, she can space when she doesn't have the ball, but it's not, you know, it's not what you're hunting out as an offense for sure, I think. And again, is it really spacing, you know? That's probably a shot that the defense is going to give her. Well, I mean, it's definitely spacing more than when it was Ezie Magbaker, right? 
Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. So to kind of take a little bit of a step back, is there anything that you would want to see from Gabby Williams offensively to maybe counteract Atkins being aggressively kind of helping off of her and focusing her defensive attention elsewhere or whoever it may be? Well, uh, a couple things. The first thing is what you would want to see from any player who's being basically ignored on the perimeter, and that's be active off the ball. Cut, cut, cut to the basket. Um, Atkins, I I mean, you said she's one of the best perimeter help defenders in the WNBA, so I don't think she's really going to get beat backdoor that often, but you need, if, if you're not being guarded on the perimeter, you need to find a way to contribute, to bend the defense, to make the defense worry about you. Because let's be honest, the Mystics are not going to be worried when Gabby Williams has the basketball in her hands. They're going to want her to shoot it, and if she makes it, okay, <laughs> she'll have to make it again and again and again. And the second thing I would say is get out in transition. Gabby Williams, she does present those transition strengths, the athleticism, a little bit of the passing ability out there, just the ability to create havoc. So I would say either cut without the ball, or not either, both of these things. She's, she's going to be able to, she's going to have to rather both cut consistently, um, not just stand there out in the corner, and also turn defense into offense, which she's been really good at doing this season. And it, it really adds that extra dimension to this Seattle Storm success. So, yeah. Did you have anything to add to that? I feel like we're on the same page here. Yeah, all of that for sure. And, you know, Gabby, to her credit, is shooting, you know, 35% from three over her last nine games in exceedingly small sample. But just to say that, like, she's not completely incapable of spacing the floor. And, you know, just like Tina Charles shooting the three-point shot, like there's there's definitely a possibility where Gabby Williams just wins you a game because she hits four three-pointers in a single game as their defensive focus is to kind of allow that shot to be open. But yeah, definitely, you know, staying active as a cutter, kind of finding those backdoor opportunities. And then if she can get herself active as a screener to find Lloyd and Bird, maybe open shots, you know, in the corner or on the wing, I think, you know, it's not really something that we've seen a ton of from Gabby Williams, but maybe they activate it a little bit more. She does have that playmaking ability in the half court. Like, she can pass the basketball. It's just, what kind of situation is she going to be put in? Is it going to be passing off like a drive and kick to manufacture an open shot? Probably not. And the other thing to her credit is her finishing has been a lot better than it was to start the this uh, season where she was kind of not finishing well <laughs> around the rim. Um, you know, it's not something where you're probably hunting post-ups against smaller defenders or something like that. But you can at least, as she's cutting, you know, from the left corner to the opposite side of the hoop, she's, she's going to finish that now where she was having a little bit more trouble early in the, the season. Is there anything else about Seattle's offense in particular, or should we move on to when Washington has the basketball? Yeah, let's move on. Okay. Um, I think one thing we both agree on is that Natasha Cloud needs to have a very strong series. I mean, that's probably not a secret. We've talked about the Mystics not really having much ball handling or playmaking outside of Natasha Cloud, but against a storm defense that is so good at manufacturing turnovers, it becomes all the more paramount in this series. Yeah, and her splits this season are uh, pretty stark. This is from before the Fever game, so it's a little bit outdated, uh, the first Fever game, I should say, but in wins this season, uh, Natasha Cloud, 14.5 points on 36% from three and 57% true shooting, whereas in losses, nine points a game, 21% from three, and 42.5% true shooting. So the offense kind of goes as, I mean, obviously the offense goes as Elena Deladon goes, and, and her <laughs> clouds numbers are probably reflected a little bit in whether Deladon is in the game or whether she's not. But, you know, cloud is kind of uh, the X factor a little bit offensively, and we've seen her have big playoffs before. You know, she was pretty good 
in 2018 and 2019 when they made consecutive finals runs and she was able to kind of also convert her three-point shot in those runs for what we could expect from her so I mean if she has the shot falling that is kind of what's going to make this offense a little bit tougher to beat especially because you know where do those shots come from it's either off spotting up you know obviously Deladonna is going to draw a lot of attention if she's got the ball anywhere below the free throw line or I mean anywhere on the court but when I'm talking about plays being made for Natasha Cloud uh, it's either going to be you know spotting up when somebody else has the basketball or coming off the screen you know defenses will continue to go under Natasha Cloud ball screen action so if she is taking and hitting that shot that's that, that's huge for Washington because otherwise you know I mean you, you get into this rut where you miss two or three shots long three three pointers in a row when you're going under the screen, the defense is going under the screen, and you're not really getting anything out of that possession. And I, I'm sure Seattle is still going to do that, you know? Yeah, and to build on that, like, is Natasha Cloud going to be able to punish Tina Charles in pick and roll? Cloud is very good. You know, Charles is obviously the defender that this def- this offense is going to want to go at, aside from Sue Bird, but it's easier to kind of attack a big in and That's some, right. you know so and Natasha Cloud has been really good attacking in the pick and roll 1.2 points per possession taking it to the basket in pick and roll that's a really good number on what should be noted is really good volume basically the highest number um in terms of points per possession and volume you know the, the combination of the two so definitely want to see whether it's Charles on I imagine it's going to be more Austin or or Williams or Heinz Allen whoever's out there and having Stewie on Deladon but Austin is a pretty good pick and roll big like she's she has her own gravity rolling to the hoop so that's going to be something i really want to see a lot out of this washington offense so you mentioned it's easier to attack a big in the pick and roll than a guard in the pick and roll however i do think they're going to attack sue bird whenever they can uh, that's something you saw the sky do a lot of when they played at seattle most recently vanderstein was just having a field day both with and without the basketball granted it didn't really help the sky because seattle shot like 60 percent in that game but i mean it's no secret that that bird is really can't hang with anybody anymore so i think that is going to be something they go to however so so let me ask you a question eric how does that manifest itself is that well, going to be small small because i imagine sue bird is going to be on alicia clark that's that's kind of like the obvious matchup so is that small small pick and rolls and you're getting bird involved in the action or is that kind of upending your offense to throw it down to clark who can certainly punish sue bird in the post she's a pretty good post wing but like are you going to disrupt the whole flow of your offense to get alicia clark several post touches in a row that's what i was going to say after however um if alicia clark and natasha cloud are both touching the basketball and you know if, if an alicia clark and natasha cloud two-man game is happening who's not touching the basketball Elena Deladon. With how much this offense is dependent on Elena Deladon, I'm not sure if I would want to force feed Alicia Clark because she's not really going to be playing. She's not really a post player anyway, right? So you'd have to do some interesting things to be getting her the basketball in the post. Well, hey, I mentioned Brianna Stewart as someone that can run an inverted pick and roll. Pretty much the only other big in the league that does that with any frequency is Elena Deladon. So maybe it's her running it up top with Alicia Clark setting the screen for you and then just sort of forcing that help and getting the defense to rotate a little bit more. You could. I would worry about that, though, with the with the activity of the athletes on the Seattle defense, though. Because, like, both Jewel Lloyd and Gabby Williams, you want to be crisp with your passing here. And, again, like, your, your, what your main point is, is are you going to be basing your entire offense around Alicia Clark post-ups? I, I, I don't think so. It's a nice wrinkle to have, absolutely. But again, how how much can you afford? How often can you afford to be attacking the point guard 
if you've got, you know, Seattle's offense to worry about. So, like I said, it is a good wrinkle. I don't think it's something they're going to need to be going to all the time. We'll see. So what do you do with Gabby Williams defensively if you are Seattle? Well, I think the first thing that would come to mind for me is put her on the least willing shooter for the Mystics and just have her go make plays on defense. The problem is, I mean, like you want, you want Gabby Williams out getting out in the open court, as I said earlier, right? So who of Cloud, Clark, and Atkins is Gabby Williams going to be defending who Sue Bird isn't already defending, right? It's, it's got to be either Cloud or, or Atkins, right? Yeah, you would think so. And I think Atkins probably just is a little bit too, I don't want to say dynamic, but she, she has some real versatility to her three-point shots. So yeah, kind of considering the Bird element of it, like I, I think you probably just want, I mean, I, I do feel like you just lose so much of what makes Gabby Williams a special defensive player if you just put her at the point of attack and, and you're kind of taking her away from... That That was something this guy found out very early in Gabby Williams' career in, in uh, 2018. They were consistently putting Gabby Williams on the opposing team's best offensive player, and it was very clear that she was better defending off the ball than on the ball. So, yes, I agree with you. But then, yeah, that kind of leaves you with the dilemma of, you know, having Sue Bird guard... Sue Bird guarding, yeah. A, yeah. a really strong athletic point guard in, in Natasha Cloud and I you know we, we just talked about how the Cloud Austin pick and roll can really do some things well it's, it's really really going to be able to do some things if that's Bird instead of Gabby Williams so I think this is a, a little bit of a kind of a, a tough conundrum for um, Seattle here I think you know maybe ultimately you just make Gabby or I shouldn't say make you allow Gabby to do what she does best and if if Sue Bird is you know, kind of exploited at the point of attack, then, you know, you let Natasha Cloud beat you, but hey, maybe Gabby Williams will be there in help defense, so. Is this a situation in which Seattle goes to Brian January more, or no? At the expense of who? Bird. Sue Bird? Oh, man, I, I have a hard time seeing that, just in terms of the franchise equity, and also Brian January's uh, unwillingness to be kind of an aggressive offensive player. That's right. Uh, you know, I think maybe in one of these games, in one of these series, if Seattle makes a a long run, you know, there will be a Brian January offensive game where she is just pretty aggressive and, and makes things happen, but it's certainly not going to be, you know, two games in a row in a playoff series by any means. I'm just curious because I think you could see it on both of these teams, actually the backup point guard, you know, we discussed earlier, is Rui Machida a playoff player for the Mystics? I think we both kind of said no, but this might be a, a matchup in which she's not horribly exploited because going up against Brienne January, who probably isn't going to be shooting that often and she's not going to be putting much pressure on the rim, the Mystics could probably get away with it for a little. And don't get me wrong, Natasha Cloud is going to be playing like 32, 34 minutes a game, maybe even more. But I don't, is Sue Bird going to be playing that often? So I don't know. Maybe I'm uh, less convinced about how this series is going to go than, than I thought. But well, I mean, it's a four or five, it's, it's, it's supposed to be the most competitive, right? Yeah, one thing. Two great basketball teams. In in terms of like the the bigs for Washington, one thing I think we saw Seattle do a little bit against Vegas, which we were kind of talking about on the other side of the ball, is is kind of cross match their bigs a little bit. Uh, Charles was getting a lot of time guarding Asia Wilson, and then giving the much superior help defender in Brianna Stewart the uh, the inferior offensive assignment to guard, whether that was Hamby or Kia Stokes, and you know allowing Stewart to be a little bit more of uh, a playmaker defensively. I think here, you know, so much of what Washington is, is 
going to live by offensively revolves around Deladon, that, that it's probably not even worth the trade-off. Would you agree? So putting Deladon on... I'm sorry. Put, so Please. like, would, would you put Charles on Deladon so Stewart could be the help, you know, a primary help defender? Because, you know, if, if Stewart is guarding Elena Deladon, that's, you know, that's their whole offense. She, she's not going to be the... Yeah. I mean, in, in comparison there, there's nobody on, on Washington who's going to be nearly as dynamic as Asia Wilson is uh, for Vegas. So I think you could probably get away with uh, Charles on whoever is playing center for Washington, unless Washington goes really small for some reason and plays Deladon at the five, but I don't think they will do that. And then along those same lines, like you get into the, how we talked about earlier about kind of baiting the other team in attacking a mismatch, but you know maybe attacking it a little too often. Like you don't want... You don't want Shakir Austin, if you're the Mystics, to constantly be going at Tina Charles, right? At the expense of Deladon not taking a shot in the possession. So I agree with you. I think Brandon Stewart is more than capable of handling Deladon one-on-one. If there is a player in the league who I would say, okay, you need to guard Atlanta Deladon one-on-one, you're not getting any help. It's Brianna Stewart, right? She's got the length. She's got the athleticism. She's pretty good about defending without fouling. They match up very favorably. So yes, I think that's what I would do. All right, what else should we hit on here before we move on to the other matchup? I just wanted to mention one thing. We, we brought this up uh, briefly in our contending teams episode. Was that last episode or a couple episodes ago? Regardless. Yeah, that was um, the last one. Seattle's shot diet has not been terrific. Um, they, are the, they, they take the lowest frequency of shots at the rim of any team in the league. The Mystics allow the lowest frequency of shots at the rim of any team in the league. Seattle shoots more long twos. I mean, they're above average or maybe below average, depending on how you want to look at it. Uh, in compare, uh, in terms of taking long twos, the Mystics allow the highest percentage, the highest frequency rather, of shots from long two. So I think, you know, while Seattle has, like I said, I think, would you agree that Seattle just has more high-end talent in the series? Yeah, I think undeniably. Yeah. Sure. So I think the, the opportunity here for Washington to kind of even that out is to play the percentages. Get Seattle to take shots that are low efficiency shots, and you know hope they miss. That's you know they're playing the math game. That's what they've done all year, and they feel the number one defense in the league in the regular season, right? So it was obviously working to some extent. So that's I could see like a long stretch of basketball where the storm they just get stuck in the mud. You know, Jewel Lloyd long two pull ups early in the shot clock. Um, you know, Tina Charles spotting up from long two which is a shot the defense will live with, stuff like that. You know what I mean? Um, so I think that's, you know, that's that's a season's worth of data right there. So it's not like a small sample size. It's not like Seattle is going to turning be turning its offense on its head and just be getting shut layup after layup after layup, right? That's a very key, and especially when they're at both ends of the spectrum like that. You know, Seattle never shoots at the rim. Washington never allows shots at the rim. That's a tremendous factor for me. So while I think Seattle is probably still favored in this series, and as they should be, you know, they're playing very, very good basketball. That is the one thing that I'd be looking for on kind of a macro level. I think the other thing worth noting is obviously Maisha Hines-Allen entering health and safety protocols and not being available for these final two I think she'll be good. regular season games. Um, yeah, maybe. I mean, it's, you know, it is COVID, so you can very easily just kind of lose your wind over the course of a week and, and just not be the same player you were a week ago and, and kind of take a little, a couple games to kind of get that back. And, you know, a couple games is really all you have in, in the playoffs yeah. in a three game series. So, but aside from that, I think, you know, I, 
I trust Washington, I think, to defend at their highest level more than I trust Seattle to defend at their highest level, you know, because I think Seattle just has a couple more, you know, weaknesses uh, uh, in, in the chain link fence or whatever. But I don't think Seattle has to really hit their apex defensively to be able to slow down this Mystics team that I think is just kind of so limited in the number of options that they have to really beat you. Washington has a slimmer margin for error, right? Yeah, I think so, uh, especially offensively. I just don't think they have the horses offensively, and I trust Seattle a little bit more to balance offense and defense than I do Washington, who is going to be a great defense probably, and this will be a great defensive series. Uh, and one thing that's definitely worth noting is that these are the the two teams that allow the lowest frequency in transition, number one and number two. So it might be a very be pretty slow, a, a half court oriented series, we should say. But you know, I think there's there's just a pretty good chance that Washington doesn't have enough answers to go to offensively to score on this Seattle defense reliably outside of Elena Deladon. I think that is a very realistic outcome. Okay, moving on. Next series, the three seed Connecticut Sun against the six seed Dallas Wings. How did the regular season shake out? Well, Dallas won the season series 2-1, but the overall numbers would tell a little bit of a different story. Dallas had a 101.3 offensive rating in the series compared to a 107 offensive rating for Connecticut. So That's interesting. Three-game sample size is kind of weird. Yeah, I mean, that just means that there was one blowout, right? Um, But uh, I think this is... Are you getting the feeling like online that this is kind of a trendy upset pick or am I? Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. It feels like people are kind of half rooting for half expecting half picking maybe to, to kind of just get excited about one first round upset for Dallas. And I think it it definitely has the potential to be an interesting series, right? Because uh, Connecticut, you know, it's not so much to me that they play into Dallas's and specifically Tierra McCowan's strengths, more than they just don't play into her weaknesses, right? Like when you think about Tier McCowan's weaknesses, she's not great defending the pick and roll. This Dallas team overall is one of the worst teams in the league guarding pick and roll ball handlers. But this is not a Connecticut team with a ton of, they don't run a, pick, a ton of pick and rolls and they don't really have killer pick and roll guards. They're seventh overall in pick and roll efficiency and ninth in pick and roll frequency. So it's just not really kind of part of their identity as an offense. And then, you know, McCowan overall, just not great defending in space. But this team is always going to have one of... There is no space. Yeah, there's no... (laughs) That's a great way to put it. You know, they're always going to have one paint-bound big on the court, whether that's Bree Jones or Alyssa Thomas. And even, you know, some of the the other players are not players that you're really kind of worried about killing you from the outside. I mean, they have essentially... Their their two plus three-point shooters are Natisha Heideman, who it feels like is going to kind of get relegated to a smaller role as time goes on and their center slash power forward, John Quell Jones. So, and then, you know, the other part of it is just kind of a lists and everything like that. People kind of getting excited about a different brand of basketball. I'm glad you brought that up or I'm glad you, you finished with that because I want to talk about that a little bit. Obviously, Ariki Gumbawale has missed the past few games after getting a procedure on her abdomen. We hope Ariki gets better soon, but if I were to put money on her playing in the playoffs, I, I don't, she's not, she's I'm already going to miss the first round. That's what they said. And I would be skeptical that if the wings advance, if she's going to play in the next round as well. But um, yeah, I mean, it is an interesting storyline. Um, there are some hashtag narratives flying around that the wings are better without Arike. They're this team that passes the basketball very crisply and often and set, set each other up. It's not really true. What is true is that Tier McCowan has been playing probably the best basketball of her career, right? 
during those six games at Arike, I mean, there's that, what I did for this, this kind of sample size here is I just took that, I just included that game against Indiana, the game that Arike came back from her, her foot injury and, and got injured again in because it's same approach really. Uh, but during that span, they've been killing opponents at the free throw line, 0.36 free throw rate for them. 0.224 opponent free throw rate. So like, that's like, that's not even close. That, that is a tremendously deciding factor straight away. Marina Mabry, as you would expect, a very large bump in usage. Her usage over the past six games, a little over 28%, uh, 28% is actually higher than Enrique's usage on the season, uh, averaging just under 20 points per game during that those six games. Uh, but she's assisting on 28% of her teammates' baskets. The other guards, Ty Harris, 20.4% assist rate. Veronica Burton, 22.5 assist rate. As a team, the Wings are actually assisting on fewer of their baskets, just over 60%, than they were before Enrique Gumboale got injured, which is about 62, 63%. And that, that number was a little bit higher um, until a couple of games ago. Even when I did Sabrina Merchant's podcast on Monday, the whip around, they were at 68% assist rate in games without Enrique. So it's fallen off quite a bit in a short time which happens when you're dealing with small sample sizes. But that suggests to me that Ogunbowale ball stopping or taking bad shots, like, yeah, it might be it might be a thing, but it's not going to completely sink the wings relative to when she's sitting out. Because I think you have to look at the other side of things and say, like, well, the wings shot making just, the, the ceiling just crashes to the floor when Ogunbowale is out of the lineup there in, in terms of bailout shots and stuff like that. And I think that is going to be a factor in this series. But... I mean, McCowan, we got, you, you brought up McCowan right away, and that's for good reason. Uh, 16.3 points, 12.2 rebounds, 6.8 free throws attempted per game over those six games. That's a lot. In, in under 30 minutes. So, like, she's, it's pretty clear that they've been trying to get her integrated into the offense, and that was even before Enrique went down. She's just getting more touches now. Because you think, about, like, how many shots is Enrique going to take per game? Where are those shots going when she's not in the lineup? A big part of that is they're going to tier McCowan, and she is, of course, a high-efficiency offensive player, um, and that's manifesting in the numbers. And you have a couple more numbers on McCowan, right? Yeah, well, and I also just wanted to mention that since she entered the lineup, um, we've kind of seen, you know, traditionally, I think the story with Dallas is that they are an average team by being average at everything. But since McCowan entered the starting lineup, they are pretty close to an elite offense. They are their fourth in offense in that time since, you know, July 14th or whatever it was. And they are a, a bottom two defense. They're 11th in defense over that time. So they're okay. winning by outscoring people. And, and a lot of that comes from Tier McCowan. So can they outscore the Sun? I mean, maybe. I don't really think so. I mean, I think one thing that, you know, if you kind of want to build the case for it, which of course we're going to because um, th that's the kind of podcast we are. That's what we do. Yeah. Um, you know, the Sun are 10th in the league in points per possession in defending post-ups, a thing that Tier McCowan does often and does pretty well. Pretty Bri well. Brianna Jones, the player that you think is probably going to be the primary matchup guarding Tier McCowan, if we know anything about Kurt Miller. One point per possession allowed. John Quill Jones, 0.95 points per possession allowed. So those are pretty high numbers for your primary post-up defenders uh, against a player like Tier McCowan. Uh, it is worth noting that teams do not really run a ton of post-ups against Connecticut. They have the second lowest frequency defending this play type. So the sample size, you know, I think is not as robust as other teams. But, you know, Bree Jones is right around that same neighborhood the last three years. So it has been fairly consistent year over year. I think that some of the other things that, that we'll get to with McCowan is not as big of a deal. But it's definitely worth noting that, you know, she, I think, 
can put these players perhaps in, in the goal more than you might think, just kind of on its surface as who these players are. Okay, so the one thing I have to ask you about that, you, how do these post-ups impact the Suns' defensive coverages? Because, I mean, you brought it up. They are not great at defending the post-ups, but teams don't really post up frequently. And that, to me, suggests that that kind of possession is just not there that often because of how the Suns play defense. So how does this Tier McCown matchup, how does that impact the Suns' defensive coverages? Because you know Dallas is going to try to go to it. So how does Connecticut kind of discourage that sort of action? I'm assuming with a healthy dose of Alyssa Thomas helping on defense, right? Yeah, I think I think it'll be kind of lineup dependent. Like who, although, you know... Thomas is going to be playing 39 minutes a game. Yeah, I mean, it's not like Dallas, they have good shooting, but at the four where Alyssa Thomas might be helping off of, you know... I don't think you're really all that worried about Kayla Thornton, who's had, you know, a nice offensive stretch here over the last few weeks. Or maybe if it's Sabali, you worry a little bit more. But, you know, a walk is pretty much a, a non Is she even going to play? A walk or Sabali? Sab- well, either. Well, I think the answer to one depends on the health of the other. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it seems like just based on, like, press conference quotes and, you know, Instagram videos and stuff like that. It seems like Sabley is close. You know, we saw her kind of suited up at practice and, and stuff like that in a recent video. And Vicky Johnson remains that, uh, that that she's pretty close. But who knows? I, I really don't know. Okay, continue. I mean, I, I don't think you kind of sell out too much to to stop Tierra McCowan at the expense of like allowing open threes. You know, maybe, maybe it's more opportunity when you think you can kind of force a turnover. But I, I don't think it's an automatic double team, I guess is what I'm saying. The last time the Wings played the Sky... Tier McCowan absolutely feasted because there was no one on Chicago simply put big enough to defend her. Um, they, the Sky were trying like different types of coverages, but most of the time it was just McCowan overpowering Candace Parker or whoever she was defending down there. While Brianna Jones and John Cole Jones may not have the strongest defensive post-up metrics, I think I would be pretty okay if I was a son letting either player defend Tier McCowan one-on-one in the post and just trying to create havoc elsewhere. Uh, the thing about that is that, you know, Alyssa Thomas is a tremendous help defender, and you're probably not that worried about Kayla Thornton beating you. It is an approach that several teams have taken against the Wings in recent games, is make Kayla Thornton beat you. And while you said she has had some nice shooting games, the volume just isn't there for that to be like a, a serious deciding factor, right? So I guess the, my next question for you would be, you know, are you leaving John Cole Jones or Brianna Jones to defend Tierra McCollin one-on-one? That that's that's what you're getting at, right? Play the math game if, if they score I think the post so. up. Yeah, for the most part, okay. you know, have Alyssa Thomas kind of opportunity doubles when you know you you are kind of just in the right spot and you can go go after the ball. But I think for the most part, you're going one on one. And the I guess the the flip side of that, if I'm Dallas, I want to mirror Tierra McCowan's minutes to Brianna Jones to to the best you can. Like Brianna Jones is probably not going to be starting, so it it might be. A little bit hard to do this exactly but like I don't really think I want any time at all where Brianna Jones is on the floor potentially going up against Izzy Harrison or a walk queer like you kind of have to alter your rotations a little bit to make sure that McCowan is the one defending Bree Jones in the post and get your more versatile bigs I think in those kind of Alyssa Thomas John Quo Jones matchups I, it, it, does queer need to play at all in the series even if Sabali is out would a smaller lineup for Dallas be in their best interest here? Because I mean, I, uh, or, or a bigger lineup with just playing two centers with Izzy Harrison and Tierra okay. McCowan and Kayla okay. Thornton is you know kind of that three big rotation. I just don't think I don't think Queer is, is ready for prime time. To be honest with you, 
I mean, she's she's obviously gonna get gonna get put in the goal nine times out of ten against any of these Sun Bigs defensively, and offensively. I don't think the ceiling I offensive think ceiling. This is just probably the team in the WNBA that you maybe least want to play an offensive zero. And I think you know a lot queer. We're we're both very high on her in the future, but right now she just doesn't really give you anything. Not at all. Offensively, and this team. They're they're gonna kill you if you play a player like that offensively. So it's I think it's gonna be pretty tough to get her productive minutes in this series. Okay, uh, what else you got here? Well, one big question I had about this is: Can Alicia Gray expose Dewana Bonner the way that Dewana Bonner has been exposed these last two playoffs? And I th- I think there's reason for you to believe that she can, right? Alicia Gray is a transition menace. She she's obviously has an athletic advantage over Dewana Bonner, which is what has sort of doomed Dewana Bonner in these past two playoffs against Adrian McCautry and Kalea Copper. Gray has 88 total transition possessions before this final weekend, 84th percentile in points per possession, 11th in total transition points this season. That's impressive. Yeah. For a team that really doesn't get out and run, like it's basically Alicia Gray, a little bit of Arike and a little bit of Marina Mabry, but Gray you know, she's she's going to kind of put the gas on and, and really, you know, push it for you here. So I think she's a very good spot-up player in the half court. You know, maybe this is a little bit of a spacing issue. Maybe it's just kind of a little bit of a, a mindset issue. You know, she has mentioned how she wants to improve her mid-range game for a player that's awesome at threes and awesome finishing at the rim. Um, but a lot of her spot-up possessions that aren't just straight catch-and-shoot are pull-up jumpers and not attacking the rim. And, you know, that has just not been a very successful play for her. So maybe against Dewana Bonner, a little bit of a, a slower player athletically, you know, she'll just be a little bit more aggressive attacking the rim. And as we know, Alicia Gray is just one of the best guards in the league getting to the uh, free throw line for, you know, a player of her game as sort of kind of like a, you know, she, she's a three and D player, but she's like a three and D plus, you know, she has more game than just what you would consider a three and D player. Um, that's, that's an important distinction. Yeah, but, you know, she's a, a great free throw attempts guard in terms of getting to the line. Bonner loves to kind of commit very stupid falls from time to time. I can see Alicia Gray, like, getting Bonner out of a game just from Bonner, like, grifting herself into a couple offensive fouls, and then Gray just, like, relentlessly attacking her hard in the open core and, you know, from uh, her spot of positions as well. Or so. it doesn't even need to be grifting herself into offensive fouls. It, just, it could just be grifting herself into bad shots that aren't Defensive called as fouls. You yeah. Know? Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, turning down an open layup to jump sideways into right, a right, defender, right, right. Uh, yes. which we've seen many times. So Many, many times. Um, you know, I think this is uh, an advantage for them, the three position. I also think that Marina Mabry is probably the single best guard in this series. Would you agree with that? With Enrique not healthy, of course. Yeah, unless you consider Alicia Gray to be a guard. Then it might be her. Yeah, I was thinking more of like a one-two, I would say. Okay, yeah, like 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 a primary ball handler. Yes, I agree. So, and I think she's she's in a, a good situation individually without Arike. Whether or not I think you think the the team is better without Arike, I think Mabry and Arike's games are similar enough that, you know, they don't necessarily maximize each other, I would say. I think that's kind of fair to say. There's some overlap there for sure, yeah. And Mabry, this is before the Phoenix game, but she was at over 22.5 points per game in the four games that Arike missed on 57% true shootings. Certainly pretty good, you know, better than your typical uh, Arike game. I think the thing you could say is that she's she's not so consistent and so undeniable that she's really going to like, she's not a sure thing to have like a dynamic series here. And 
you know, she'll probably have one really good game and one really bad game. And maybe that third game will kind of be the deciding factor here. But you, you don't like you're not certain that Marina Mabry is just going to like be a force in the series. Even it's if- like something you like to say is I could see her shooting them into a win uh for for any uh, any player you like to say that about but it, like it, it, she could be like a game winning player i don't know if she can be a series winning player if that makes sense yeah no i actually think that that's a really great way to put it here so so you just look at that you know they they have the advantage at the 1 they have the advantage at the 3 any given game they they could maybe have the advantage at at the 5 with Tierra McCowan as well as she's playing with how this team is constructed what what would you do defensively for Connecticut in the backcourt? That's a good question because I don't think either of their starting guards are very good defenders. One thing that I have noticed about Natisha Heideman is that she just gets killed off the basketball. Um, when teams run her through screens, she gets lost. Um, she gets picked off on screens pretty easily. But then again, Courtney Williams has not had a good defensive season either. It's not like she can't defend. It's just, she just makes a lot of bad reads and bad decisions on defense. And that is an instance in which, you know, someone like Alicia Gray will kill you. You know, I think maybe if if you've got two poor help defenders or two poor off-ball defenders at guard, there's no real favorable way to to hide anybody, you know? That's true. And I think Courtney Williams—I mean, they are both not great off-ball defenders— Courtney Williams is going to just play like a more undisciplined kind of gambling style uh, going for plays that aren't necessarily kind of high percentage plays defensively. So, but I I do think, you know, she's probably still a better on ball defender than Natisha Heideman. So when you combine what I just said with Veronica Burton kind of being like a really low usage point guard and, you know, having a pretty good floor game, but not really being involved in a lot of action once, you know, she kind of dribbles the ball up and and their good players get a little bit more involved. I think Courtney Williams, like if you just kind of say to her, you know, don't worry about help, guard Marina Mabry, you know, I feel like Marina Mabry is probably the type of player that rubs Courtney Williams the wrong way a little bit. and Could very well be. Um, she, loves, she rubs a lot of players the wrong way. Yeah, but, okay. exactly. And, and this is, you know, a player that used to be a pretty plus defensive player in Courtney Williams. So I think you you stick her on Mabry as much as you can and hide Heideman on Veronica Burton. Like how much is Veronica Burton punishing Nutisha Heideman for being a, a poor off-ball player? I, I'm not really sure. Yeah, you're right. The, the thing I want to know about that is what's Mar- what Marina Mabry is really good at is she's really good at leveraging her physicality and her size. She's she's a pretty beefy guard. She's like 5'11 with, with good strength at the position. I don't think either Williams or Heideman have like the strength and size to hang with her. Maybe I'm wrong, but I agree with your premise of putting the poorer off-ball defender on the less, less of a factor, however you want to say that, offensively. But that begs the question, who's going to be playing more, Burton or Ty Harris? Because I could see arguments in both ways. Well, what is the argument for Burton, do you think? Defense. Defense. Yeah, I think Ty Harris is a fine defensive player, but Burton is kind of like that special level of defensive what's that player. Site, what's that stat you cited? Like, Burton is leading them in charges drawn in however many minutes. Like, she just, like, didn't play the first half yeah, of the she, season. For, she's, like, eighth in minutes and first in offensive fouls drawn. That's awesome, yeah. But, I mean, do you need that player? Is that player even maximized in this series with kind of 
the guards that Connecticut has. How Connecticut wants to play. Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. One thing I want to say is that, like, Burton has been their starting guard of choice, but it's Dallas, and there is, even with Ogunbowale out of the lineup, even with Sabuli out of the lineup, the Wings uh, still play musical chairs with their, their rotations, and there could be a game in which Ty Harris plays 32 minutes randomly, you know? I think Ty Harris is just still at this point just kind of the steadier player. You know, maybe maybe doesn't have the defensive potential, but she's also got, I think, a more complete offensive game than Burton does and probably less likely to finish a possession poorly on offense than Burton. And I think less likely to probably just be completely ignored on the offensive end as well. You know, because yeah, she's still she's a decent spot up shooter, yeah. A decent spot up shooter can hit a pull up. I mean, they're both pretty good, like it's assist to turnover players, but I think Harris is, is even still a little bit better there. Maybe Burton has, you know, a little bit better of just like a, a floor game, you know, when she doesn't have the ball and stuff like that, or, or just kind of running the offense. But, you know, Ty Harris, I can easily see a world where Ty Harris is kind of the second guard, you know, maybe not starting games, but playing more minutes than Burton and, and finishing games. Or if like they just get totally wrecked in game one, I could see Vicky Johnson saying, okay, we're, we're making a change in the starting lineup. Like either way, I agree. One thing I wanted to talk about a little bit is like John Quill Jones this feels like a series where John Quill Jones just gets kind of marginalized by Kurt Miller because Dallas has McCowan and they want kind of the bigger, stronger player in Bree Jones out there. John Quill did play the least in terms of total minutes, which is, you know, kind of noisy, I think, in the three regular season games. But, you know, we've talked about Alyssa Thomas is, is probably not going to see too much of the bench. And Kurt really goes matchup based on John Quell and Brianna Jones. So do you, before I go on, can you, is, is this like a realistic vision that, that I have here? Can you see, or am I totally way off, you think? See, I don't know. Like, I would want to try John Quell on McCowan because I, I think defending her with length, how many other players has McCowan gone against who have the, the length to at least bother her? Like, John Quell isn't as strong as Brianna, but she's a lot taller and longer. So maybe if Brianna Jones is just, not tall enough to defend maybe they they try john quell and just you know play straight up defense leave her like okay so here's i'll put it this way who would you rather have defending mccallan one-on-one i mean now that you said it there aren't a lot of players that can just contest where mccallan releases the ball like john quell jones because if you're playing mccallan one-on-one that opens up so much other stuff like there aren't many teams that have the luxury of doing that you know what i'm saying and i don't think tiara mccallan one you know, this is a player that gets to the line a ton, right? I, I don't think that kind of worries you as much in most circumstances for a couple of different reasons. One is that, you know, if she was maybe like a 70% free throw shooter, I think she's maximizing those possessions more than currently under 60%. But also Connecticut has two capable centers. Like you don't really worry about if John Quill Jones picks up three falls in the first half or if Brianna Jones picks up three falls in the first half because you have the other one to capably they're they're both pretty good two-way players like they're not going to kill you on either end so I I don't think McCowan really kind of presents all the advantages of like a typical Tierra McCowan uh series or what would be a Tierra McCowan series in, in that way and the other thing is obviously just like Brianna Jones plays to Tier McCowan's strengths defensively more than John Quell Jones does. You know, John Quell Jones is obviously can be used as a floor spacer and can face up and, you know, is more of a pick and roll big and a pick and pop big. I wonder if, you know, in John Quell, Alyssa lineups, if they just stick McCowan on, on Alyssa Thomas and, you know, play her way back and let Alyssa Thomas do her one-handed kind of elbow 
floater. <laughs> you know, like I, I can see a world where they just Sylvia fouls it and have your four play John Quill Jones and have your center play Alyssa Thomas here. Who's the four in this situation? Thornton? Thornton, yeah. I mean, I think John Quill, you know, can put Thornton in the goal. But if Tier McCowan is standing in the paint anyway, it's a lot harder. It's to- going to be harder to get her the basketball. Yeah, you're right. That's a good that's a good thought. To that same kind of point, like I think against your average team, you know, Izzy Harrison as your backup center presents Dallas with a real advantage, but that advantage doesn't really exist against the Sun where they have, you know, probably the only, I'm just saying this off the top of my head, so I'm probably forgetting somebody, but the only center in the league that's probably a, ba- a better backup center than Izzy Harrison and, and Brianna Jones. So, you know, just what is typically an advantage for this team, I think is not necessarily going to be an advantage for this team. I mean, I think Izzy Harrison still presents a couple individual advantages, but it's not something that you're going to be overhauling everything to take advantage of. Like you have here, um, Izzy maybe using her quickness to beat, which Jones were you talking about here? <laughs> Brianna, Brianna or John I Quill? Think. <laughs> yeah. Okay, okay, Brianna, yeah, okay, that I could see. But like, you're not going to be hunting Izzy Harrison shots one-on-one against the reigning MVP, John Quill Jones, right? That's, you're right. The, the, the depth of the Sun front court here, while we talk about like okay, it's it's hard to maximize both players at the same time, it's really going to be an advantage for them in this series, I think. So overall, I think we can probably wrap up with this one. I kind of get why people are talking themselves into an upset here. You know, Connecticut is is not that exciting of a team. Dallas has been playing well. You know, we we love a addition by subtraction story in sports. I did say that I think Marina Mabry is the best guard in this series. Uh, I don't necessarily think she'll be at a transcendent level. Alicia Gray, I do think is a lot better than Dewana Bonner. But other than that, you know, I think this Dallas team has a lot of places that you just don't have to worry about. You know, maybe the one blessing for Dallas without Arike and Satu Sabali, two extremely exciting players, is that they have finally just settled into a rotation and they're not playing yeah. 11 players every single quarter or whatever. But, you know, I, I just think Dallas, they allow the second highest proportion of opponents' possessions in transition there's just no way they're going to be able to slow down Alyssa Thomas in transition. Unless, this is going to be an Alyssa Thomas series. You can, I can just feel it. Yeah, unless their offense is just completely unstoppable. Alyssa Thomas is just, and Connecticut in general, is just going to, you know, have their way in transition. Now, Dallas never turns it over. Uh, so it is kind of funny in, in that regard that they give up such a high transition frequency without ever turning the ball over. But they just have poor transition guards. Their bigs are not, you know, especially when you have Tierra McCowan, she's not going to get... She's not going to get back now. And Connecticut does eat off turnovers. Like, I just trust Connecticut to force this team to turn it over more than I trust Dallas to continue to not turn it over. And, you know, Connecticut's just going to run off all their misses anyway. So, and then, you know, I just think they have, even if, you know, you you don't love the total roster construction of this team, like, I still just think they have more playoff players than Dallas has. Here's the thing. I'm going to use this again. I'm going to recycle my, my thought from Seattle and Washington. I think Dallas just has such a slim margin for error in this series for several reasons you already stated, but I'm going to add some a couple of things here. Tierra McCon, think about her is she's improved at this, but she still has trouble staying out of foul trouble, right? If Tierra McCowan commits two early fouls and Vicky Johnson fouls out her home player and takes her out, then that's and, not good. And they have bigs that can put her in foul trouble for sure. They have bigs who can put her in foul trouble. That's right. If Marina Mabry has goes I don't know, two for 12 shooting from the floor, then they're in trouble. You need both of those players to really be playing at their best in order for their wings to win this series. And while they have been playing, I think here's the, th- here's, here's the kicker here. They have been playing 
some of the best basketball of their career up until this point. But they're going to need to continue it if Dallas needs is going to pull this upset, basically. Um, I think the thing about this Dallas offense without Ogunbowale is it could be pretty deliberate. Like, okay, we know that McCown is going to present us. She's going to be drawing fouls. She's going to be finishing at the hoop. We know that Mabry is going to make tough shots. But look at looking at how the Sun plays defense, they want you to, to isolate. They want the ball to stick on one side of the floor. They want you to run slow offense because that's when they can really load up, force those turnovers, force bad shots, and then, of course, get out and transition there. So just, I know the, the Wings won the season series or whatever, but I think just looking at the Connecticut defense versus the Dallas offense and how well the Wings need to execute over and over and over again on offense in order to win this series, I think Connecticut just has much larger room for error in this series. I do think, you know, I miss Jasmine Thomas so much because she would really be awesome in the series on Marina Mabry because, you know, Wings are down to one real scorer in the backcourt. And that's when you put one of the best defensive guards, perimeter defenders in the league, let just let her go to work. So no Jasmine Thomas, that kind of sucks. You know, that that's interesting because we haven't really seen a whole lot of that matchup because whenever they play, Jasmine Thomas guards Arike Kumbuale. We, we've never got to see like an arike yeah. you know, Marina Mabry get guarded by Jasmine Thomas. That would have been interesting. It would have been interesting, but... Alas, uh, I, I think this is just a series in which they're going to miss Ogunbowale's uh, bailout shot making as well as transition play. Because like you said, you know, there's there's no way the Wings can hang in transition with the Sun, especially when one of the most effective transition players in the league in Ogunbowale is on the bench. Uh, you, you mentioned Dallas is the best guard in this series. That may be true, but Connecticut has the best big in this series. They may have the best three bigs in this series. That's an advantage you got away as well. Am I missing anything here? Well... Yeah, one other note that I had, like if Sabali is available, I still think this might be a little bit more of a Kayla Thornton series than a Satu Sabali series. I think Thornton is just a little bit more equipped physically to match up with AT. Thomas was really able to kind of take Sabali out of the EuroLeague semifinal this past WNBA offseason just with her physicality. Uh, and Sabali, she brings probably more floor spacing and more shooting and more kind of dynamic play off the dribble, but I think, especially with Vicky Johnson and kind of the way she wants to coach, it is going to lean a little bit more towards kind of tough defense. She's also missed a dozen straight games now with a foot injury, right? Sunday will be her 13th consecutive game missed with an ankle injury. Uh, After Eric, I'm not sure if you knew this, but she was actually put back in the game after she was... I was waiting for you to bring that up. I was waiting for you to do that. But my my point being, is she going to be thrown into a high leverage situation against a very physical team when she's had, when she's missed that many consecutive games, I just don't see that happening. Well, you know what I think. What do you think? Save her for the Fenerbahce season. Okay, we will talk to you on the other side of the break when we know who's going to be playing who. So thank you for listening to the first part of this episode. Um, talk to you in a second. And welcome back. We jumped 24 hours into the future after all the playoff seeds have been decided after a pretty chaotic final day of action here, Stephen. Uh, the two and seven matchup coming down to the last few games it's going to be the chicago sky and the new york liberty yeah pretty remarkable just how many teams that didn't really have anything to play for still gave it their all today or in some cases didn't give it their all and still came out on top (laughs) in the case of your chicago sky eric not playing their players big minutes but still were able to handle phoenix pretty comfortably Um, but let's get into this sky liberty matchup two teams that each of us are pretty familiar with the Sky won the season series against New York 3-1. to The Sky posted a 106.3 
offensive rating in those games. The Liberty, a pedestrian 93.5 offensive rating. So uh, some of these were more competitive than others. You know, I think largely the big gap in kind of these teams' offensive ratings comes from that. That first time they played. Yeah, yeah, that second game of the season when Chicago just absolutely took it to New York. And I think we had three pretty competitive matchups after that, right? Yeah, in fact, the one loss uh, from this guy came in the final seconds on the road uh, in New York after they had some less than favorable travel conditions. But no excuses. Every team has to go through that once in a while. So, yeah, uh, three games of, of pretty competitive basketball. And with the four-game regular season sample size, you really do get a lot more meat on the bone, so to speak, of statistical data. So where do you want to start with this? Well, I know kind of as a Sky fan, none of the options that you could have faced in this first round, like really strike a ton of fear in your heart. But no. if things could go wrong for Chicago, where do you see, like what could New York do well against the Sky? Make shots. Um, I know that's a pretty simple answer, but uh, it does seem like many of the games at the Sky are just not competitive at all are in this season have come when the opponents are just shooting the heck out of the basketball, um, you know, make or miss league and all that. And New York is a team that they attempt a lot of three-pointers. What I'm looking for specifically is how many of the sky going to allow, like just not, not makes uh, attempts. Cause you know, the sky are by far allowing the lowest frequency of three-pointers in the WNBA and also the highest frequency of shots around the rim in the WNBA. So you, you kind of figure there's at least some correlation there, right? Um, are the Liberty going to be able to get up the amount of three-pointers they need to kind of play the variance game and, and maybe pull an upset in the series? Yeah, it's interesting to have this be the team that takes the highest proportion of their shots from three against the defense that, as you were saying, allows the lowest proportion of opponent shots from three. So that, to me, suggests like New York is probably going to get up their threes kind of no matter who they're playing, but are they going to be quality looks or are they going to be right. really tough, uh, kind of settled shots, highly defended shots, shots that, you know, are maybe still one pass away, maybe from being a really great shot and uh, kind of, you know, not, not the highest quality look here. But to your point, Chicago does allow a lot of shots around the restricted area uh, and in the paint. How are you feeling about New York's ability to kind of generate those looks against this defense? I mean, I think New York is really going to have to go to the Sabrina Ionescu, Natasha Howard pick and roll early and often against the Sky, because otherwise there aren't really a lot of players on the Liberty who really strike fear in my heart of putting pressure on the rim from the perimeter. You know, they do have Benajah Laney back, which is definitely a plus for them, but we both know that she can settle for those one or two feet inside the arc long twos, which is obviously a win for the defense. Um, Sabrina Ionescu... I will say some of her best moments so far, you know, it's been just a few games, but some of her best moments have definitely come from putting her head down and being a little bit more aggressive. You know, she had that great take against Nas Hillman today on yes, Sunday. Yes, yes. And she's had a, a couple other ones over the past few games. So she's not incapable of doing it. It's just whether she's kind of settling for the worst shots or not. And I think there are several players you could say about that on this roster. Uh, like, UNESCO has also had some success taking it to the room against this Sky defense in the past as well. But other than that, I mean, you know, Marie Johannes, obviously a tremendously gifted shooter, uh, as we saw today against Atlanta. Dangerfield... Not really worried about her putting any pressure on the rim at all. Rebecca Allen, probably not. Who else am I missing here? Sammy Woodcomb, is she going to play? That's inter That's an interesting question because, as you've noted, her minutes have kind of been down lately. What do you think? Yeah, to your point, I think those two perimeter players in Sabrina and Benajah Laney are really the only ones on this roster that you have to worry about 
actually putting pressure on the rim. You know, Rebecca Allen, I think her finishing has really come back to earth in a positive regard this season from last year, but it is much more like off timely cuts. You know, she's had some nice finishes off really difficult catches, kind of moving without the basketball, but she's not going to break you down off the dribble, of course. You know, Maureen, if she's getting to the rim, it's probably in the open court, um, not, you know, getting all the way to the rim in the half court. She's usually going to kind of pull up from, you know, eight or so feet there. And then Sammy, I think in terms of, you know, this wing rotation, I imagine they're going to continue playing, you know, five wings or five perimeter players, you know, starting three and, and playing two off the bench. And it, it sure looks like Whitcomb's going to be the odd player out. Um, you know, she only played less than two minutes today and uh, her, her minutes have been a little bit hard to come by of late, even though I think, you know, she might be of the um, secondary options here outside of Sabrina and Benajah Laney, you know, the most consistent shooter of, of the three, the kind of the one you just trust the most, but a little bit slow defensively, I think this year, I think that's kind of been the, the separating factor. I'm glad that you brought up the defense because that is, I think, going to be the deciding factor in who gets these minutes on the perimeter for the Liberty. Obviously, you know, Benaja Lane is going to get a ton of minutes. You need to play your best players in this in this series. But I think Rebecca Allen could play a pivotal role here just because she does at least have that wingspan. Athletically speaking, I'm not sure if any of these New York Liberty perimeter players can hang with players like Kalea Copper and Courtney Vandersloot. Vandersloot in particular has had a terrific season series against the Liberty. Uh, 17 points a game, 56.52 shooting percentage, 6.25 assist to turnover ratio. So whatever the Liberty were doing against Vandersloot in the regular season was not really working. Rebecca Allen does at least have the wingspan to maybe at least be a little bit of a bother out there. Would you rather see her on the ball or chasing someone around off the ball? Because Allie Quigley has been a significant part of this guy offense lately. And you got to wonder if, you know, the Liberty are going to want some size on her. Yeah, I think Allen, in a little bit of a departure from last season, where she, I think, had a pretty good on-ball defensive campaign last year, has been a little bit more effective in an off-ball role. You know, Quigley is sort of her own challenge guarding off the ball because she's so active and and kind of in a a league of her own in that regard. But Allen, I think, has had some good moments there. She's forced quite a few turnovers guarding Allie Quigley this season. I don't think she quite has enough to hang with Courtney Vandersloot on the ball. I think maybe if it was an inferior on-ball creator that we were talking about and not, you know, the best point guard in the league probably, then that might be different. But I think putting Allen off-ball and having her do her best to just kind of eliminate the Allie Quigley part of what this guy does offensively, I think that's probably the the best deployment of what she can do with her length and she has you know a significant size advantage over Quigley and I think some of her best moments are when she's not guarding a player who is just like an explosive off the dribble type player yes and she can kind of use her length without worrying too much about the blow by do Liberty have any answer for copper no I don't think so (laughs) I mean I think that's kind of yeah that that's going to be a tough one I, I think you know Laney is probably their best shot but I, I don't really think that's a, a good matchup. I think, honestly, the, your best hope for Kalea Copper is turning her into a jump shooter and, yes, uh, you know, kind of challenging high volume uh, for her to just go cold at the wrong time, I think. Yeah, I agree with that. And, you know, Chicago, they're not a team, despite these supposed mismatches that we're talking about, Chicago is not really a team that's going to force their way to the free throw line that often. Kalea Copper can, of course, get to the line, but looking up and down the sky roster, there aren't really that many players who are going to be drawing a lot of fouls, which is probably good for this Liberty team, right? 
yeah, this is a team that has a, a hard time defending without following. So, I mean, if you kind of think about Chicago not being a team that gets to the line a ton and New York being a team that commits a ton of fouls, like I do generally lean towards that team is probably still going to commit a ton of fouls. You know, it's not like they're just going to be able to play really disciplined defense and, and yeah, all of a true. sudden stop falling. So I think Chicago will probably have a better than average kind of free throw attempt series for like what this team has been doing. Okay. Any other particular matchups, either team level or player level you want to highlight? Yeah, there is a few more. I think one thing for Chicago, it's it's nice that Allie Quigley is pretty much always going to have somebody to guard, you know, whether it's Crystal Dangerfield, who you just kind of don't have to worry about offensively, you know, aside from shooting 100% against Atlanta a couple of days ago, like she's right. a well below average in terms of efficiency offensive player, you know, in the 40s in terms of true shooting, very hesitant to take shots that are not completely wide open because of her size is, you know, not a three level scorer, right? Maybe a two level scorer on her best days. Or, you know, it's Rebecca Allen, who is very much like a strict kind of three and D prototype, like is not doing much off the dribble herself. You know, this is a team that wants all of their wings to be able to kind of pass and dribble and shoot. And I think Rebecca Allen really only checks one of those boxes. And it's nice to be able to have Quigley be able to kind of hide out on, on someone like that pretty much at all times. Like the only time you're really worried about what Quigley is doing defensively is if this team actually plays kind of all three of their dynamic perimeter players in Sabrina, Marine Johannes, and Benajah Laney. You know, maybe you're you're a little bit worried then. Well, even if that happens, Quigley is still going to have somebody, like somebody on, on the team is still going to have to guard Quigley on the other end, right? Yeah, and that's, none of those three options I think are really going to do a great job of chasing her around screens, so. Okay, so I think we're anticipating a big Allie Quigley series here. Um, but in that regard, I mean, it's interesting looking at the Sky's perspective, like at least from the rotation, because the rotation is pretty set. You know, it, it's the Liberty who have these questions about, well, who's going to be a good matchup against who? I still like the three-guard lineup that New York was rolling out, but I with Laney's, retur- with Laney's return, I don't think that's going to be a thing. And Sandy Brundell really seems hell-bent on this Dangerfield-UNESCO backcourt. Do you think that's a good idea? No, I don't really. Um, I mean, I think Dangerfield is probably New York's best option to guard Courtney Vandersloot. Would you agree or disagree with that? I don't know. I, she's just so small. She is she small, can, but she's had some really good like on-ball stretches, I think. Um, yeah, she can stay with Vandersloot off the dribble. It's just a matter of getting overpowered once she gets beneath the free-throw line. Yeah, uh, that, that's... But I, I think she's better than, like say, Sabrina Unescu would be. Right, and Sabrina's still kind of a well-below-average defensive player. Yeah, here. yeah, exactly. Um, but it's just so hard to score reliably with, you know, a 48% true shooting point guard. Like, it, it just kind of makes things, especially one that's very hesitant and not you know, high usage, uh, and one that is a little bit reluctant as, as a spot up player, unless they are just absolutely wide open. So, I mean, dangerous field will probably still get the start, but I think one thing that you can kind of look at in the positive is that since Benajah Laney has returned, um, which I think, you know, is a small sample size, but a representative one of kind of what this team looks like when it's whole Marine Johannes is second in minutes on this team since that point. So I think they are going to play, you know, Dangerfield will probably get the start. You know, she'll probably play a second stint in each half. But I think and I hope you can still kind of expect a heavy dose of Maureen Johannes off the bench, you know, alongside Sabrina and Benajelani. I would hope so. I really want to see Maureen Johannes play in person again. She's so exciting. Uh, I do think we need to touch uh, on Natasha Howard's potential impact, though, because 
this is their super max player. And like I said, I think New York's best shot to at least put up efficient offensive performances in this series is going to be Natasha Howard pick and rolls. Are they going to be able to kind of focus on that? Or are we going to be turning Natasha Howard into a spot up player? Because I think that's what Chicago is going to want to do, right? So how do you kind of, as a Sky fan, want to see them guard Natasha Howard in terms of just like schematically or personnel wise? To me, it it seems like that would be a Candace Parker matchup, you know? I agree. Yeah. I I agree. I'm not worried about Candace Parker being overpowered by Howard. I'm not worried about Candace Parker getting into foul trouble against Howard. I think rebounding wise, that's that's a decent matchup for Parker as well. And, you know, you, you think about Natasha Howard, she... A lot of her offensive game is dependent on making a lot of moves. And Candace Parker is one of the best in the league at forcing offensive players to maybe make too many moves, if I can put it that way. I could see Parker forcing some turnovers against Natasha Howard. I also think with all like the dribble handoff and um, how much of how perimeter-based Stephanie Dolson is, like that's probably a little bit better of like an Emma Mieseman matchup than Candace Parker. And Yeah, you don't really need to worry about Stephanie Dolson against Emma Mieseman. Like... What advantage does she have against against Meesman? Right, exactly. Pretty much, I would say none. So, yeah, put your best defensive player on, you know, kind of this team's X factor here offensively for Natasha Howard. Howard, I'm going to recycle this stat from my podcast appearance with Sabrina Merchant uh, about a week ago when this came out, that Natasha Howard is shooting 64% in the paint in Liberty wins and 48% in the paint in Liberty losses. So when she is able to, and I, a lot of that I think really does kind of have to do with, is she being used as a pick and roll player right. and can just catch and lay up? Or does she have to, you know, make a dribble move or two or try to post up or something like that where she's just not that effective because, you know, she does have really poor hands. She does have really poor handle. And Parker is one of the smartest defensive players out there. She's going to punish those kind of little weaknesses you have in your game. Plus, I think the Chicago bigs are just generally worse at defending the pick and roll than they are post-ups. The synergy stats do bear that out. But I mean, also, if you're in the pick and roll, you're there's a better chance of the ball moving around. If Natasha Howard is posting up, you're probably not sending a double at her unless it's to force her making a bad decision, which I guess that is possible too. But again, like I would very much trust Candace Parker defending a post-up against Natasha Howard rather than having to defend her in space. Because if there is one thing Howard still has, it's the... It's the explosion at the rim, you know, off the dribble, um, in the pick and roll. But if she's spotting up from beyond the perimeter or posting up trying to manufacture a shot, I mean, you saw it the last time these two teams played, right, at Chicago, Natasha Howard missing a lot of shots around the rim against, like, guards. You know, like, she couldn't finish over Courtney Vandersloot several times. I mean, she's just going to have to play better. It's as simple as that. Yeah, she had that seven turnover game against the Sky. Yes, and, yes. Uh, a lot of that is putting the ball on the floor. And Sandy Bardella has actually come out and said this. Like, someone asked her, I forget who it was, so I apologize, but someone asked her about Natasha Howard's, you know, she had that hot streak there where she had a few really good games in a row, and Bardella straight up said, she's not dribbling. <laughs> she's just, she's not making decisions. She's just catching and finishing and moving well without the basketball. So that's something that's obviously going to be very key. So one thing I wanted to ask you, because I don't necessarily, when Chicago kind of has their starters out there, I don't think they have kind of the best solution here uh, with Laney back. But how how would you like to see them guard Sabrina Ionescu? Um, they had a ton of success in that first game, really kind of being hyper-aggressive and, you know, trapping her uh, and, and really just forcing a ton of turnovers. And I think she's kind of, you know, adjusted to that. And, and she's had some better games here against the Sky of late. 
I definitely agree with that. Uh, she has adjusted. She has gotten better at that. But I think another part of that is back then, the Liberty didn't have Dangerfield on their roster. They didn't have uh, Johannes on their roster. It was really just UNESCO, and that's it, handling the basketball, right? So you can get away with those hyper-aggressive traps and defensive schemes and all that good stuff if you aren't really concerned about any other player beating you off the dribble or getting the basketball and making a good decision, a crisp decision with it. So it depends on the lineups that the Liberty are playing. If Dangerfield is, if it's a Dangerfield UNESCO backcourt, I think I'd still be okay with something like that because Dangerfield, like you said, not really a threat to score beneath the three-point line. But if it's someone like Johannes who can and will burn you if she gets the ball in her hands and she gets like a favorable matchup or she's in any amount of space, really, then I would be a little more hesitant to do something like that. The problem is, as you alluded to, with Laney on the floor, you kind of need to match size with size there, right? I think that's a Kalia Copper matchup. But other than that, I think I'd probably put Vandersloot on UNESCO and just Quigley on whoever else is out there. Is that what you had in mind as well? I mean, well, here's kind of what I wanted to ask you in relation to this. Is there any chance that Rebecca Gardner plays more than Ali Quigley in the series? Oh, there's a huge chance. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's something we've seen in several games this season, that James Wade is not afraid to bench Ali Quigley in favor of Rebecca Gardner for defensive situations. And if the Liberty are going with two or three guards all the time, then yeah. Yeah, I definitely think so. Granted, I think Quigley, you know, she had that that bad start to the season, but she's been hitting better than 30% of her three-pointers in each month since May. So it's not like she's completely washed or anything like that. Like, you still need to defend Ali Quigley off the basketball, but... The thing about Gardner that she that she provides that the Sky haven't really had in the past for offense defensive substitutions is she's still an effective offensive player in her own right because she's so good at moving without the ball and hunting efficient shots. So I think if Gardner is out there, it's more of a question of who the Liberty is going to have on her. Like I know UNESCO has matched up with her in the past and that's been moderately successful for New York, but athletically I think it's still a disadvantage. If Garner does get the basketball in her hands, I mean, whoever gets the ball is going to attack UNESCO off the dribble. We, we've seen that in pretty much every game this guy have played against Liberty this season. So going back to your original question, yes, I do think Gardner playing more than Quigley is a very realistic scenario. And I don't think it really is to the detriment of Chicago either. Would you disagree? I think I would a little bit, yeah. I mean, maybe not. They, I think they can get away with it against the Liberty because Chicago is just such a better team. But once you start getting to the highest levels here, I, I do think, you know, you're going to need Quigley's offense. Oh, yes, there. of course. No, I, I was I was talking just p- this particular matchup. Yeah, yeah. Then, yeah, I would agree that, you know, they can they can probably play Gardner, you know, what, 25 to, to 15 type level minutes. I, I mean, they'll, it probably won't be quite that because obviously they'll play together a little bit too. But, you know, 25 to 20, something along those lines, uh, Gardner to Quigley minutes here. But yeah, I, I could definitely see a world where because they're, this team is just a little bit more dynamic in the backcourt than they were, you know, just a, a few weeks ago and a few months ago, even, you know, before Johannes finally came over that day. Chicago leans a little bit more defense just to to slow them down here. One other thing I, I wanted to ask you about how New York can maybe handle their rotations. Uh, what, what do you think about maybe going small and, and playing Laney at the four against this team? Do you think that's something that, you know, Chicago can really punish with, you know, Misa Man and, and Azra Stevens? If there's one weakness to this Sky frontcourt rotation, it's that none of their bigs really punish mismatches in the traditional sense. I think Misaman, you know, she's really good at flashing uh, without the basketball and kind of getting that uh, that quick turnaround jump shot close to the rim, kind of getting that to fall against slower and or shorter defenders. 
So I could see that I could see that being a problem for New York, but I think that would be okay. Cause like I said, Lanny is gonna be playing as much as she can, right? And there aren't really any other bigs. I mean, I think Hanju could be a, a key factor in this series, but is Brondello gonna gonna play her like more than Stephanie Dolson? I don't think this is a Stephanie Dolson series. It could be a Hanju series. But well, why do you say that? Because I was actually kind of skeptical about Han's impact in this series. Well, for one, she does have the three-point shot. It's not something she takes that often, but none of the Sky Bigs... I mean, maybe Azari Stevens would be a decent matchup against this, but I don't think either Candace Parker nor Emma Meeseman really want to get out there on the perimeter to contest that shot. So I think that shot would be there for Hanju, and it's just the size in general. Like, maybe... Yeah, her footwork still needs to get a little better. Her finishing still needs to get a little bit better, but... In terms of pure size, I don't think there's really anybody on the Sky roster who can keep her off the boards. Maybe I'm wrong about that. But, I mean, I would rather face Michaela Onyanwere or even Stephanie Dolson than I would Hanju. I don't know. I just feel like Dolson is a little bit more of, like, a connective offensive player. She kind of... I mean, she's definitely, like, a better screener, even well, she though is. she falls a ton setting screens. And, and those are turnovers, right? And this team definitely can't afford to turn the ball over uh, against Chicago. And, you know, Han, I think she's just, she's obviously like a much superior player to like Michaela Onyenwede and maybe even Dolson in her own regard because she has such great size. Uh, you know, she's a pretty good finisher She um, when she's kind of set up by uh, the playmakers on this team. I just don't think she's really going to bring the physicality here. She has such a long way to go defensively as much as, you know, she's been a revelation and much, much better than I thought she was going to be after only seeing her as like a 19-year-old in this league three years ago or whatever. But her being a threat from three, I think, is important. And even just like the mid-range shot, and she's just much more willing to take open looks than Steph Dawson, who is kind of always looking for that next connective pass, maybe even at the detriment of some open looks herself. Uh, but of course, you know, when she's shooting, uh, she has been extremely efficient this season. So I don't, I don't know. I think I might have a little bit more confidence in Dolson than you, but I still think that this is probably going to be a series where we see Lainey at the four, maybe more than either Han or Onionwede. You know, I think I like her maybe a little bit more defensively against their bigs than trying to hang with a Kalea Copper. Like, I'm just not sure that she kind of has that lateral quickness there yet you know kind of still returning from her injury and like any additional wing you have in this rotation by sliding Laney to the four is going to be an upgrade in terms of productivity over Han or, or Onionwede I think yeah I agree I'm not sure if is Onionwede going to play at all I wouldn't be surprised if she doesn't I mean you know she does bring some pretty specific things she's fairly athletic for her position she can give you kind of one easy transition look per game by just like running the floor hard um but i think she's just so mistake prone defensively and her technique is so poor defensively for a four i think it'll be a quick hook i think she'll probably get some looks early in the series and and then maybe you know that i mean be... if she's guarding someone like emma meesman that's if you're talking about like you said technique that's like total opposites right yeah maybe you know maybe she can hang with azari stevens a little bit more but i don't know i i guess you know we'll, we'll have to see there or she's just gonna gonna get her usual eight to ten minutes a game no matter the matchup i mean that, that is something they've been doing right it's it's kind of interesting any other particular matchups you want to talk about here or any other stats well i mean it definitely is worth pointing out that this liberty team is the worst team in the league defending 
both pick and roll ball handlers and the worst team in the league defending pick and roll rollers. So that is not very encouraging if you are playing Courtney Vandersloot. The Sky are third in the league in points per possession out of the pick and roll. So that is um, pretty tough. Your weakness kind of directly lines up with this team's strength. Um, So we've been kind of talking mostly you know, Liberty here, because they're the ones that are going to have to kind of bring their A game to, to win the series. But, you know, well, like I said, the sky's rotation is set. Like, you know what Chicago is going to want to do. Yeah, exactly. They're, they're going to play exactly who's been playing. You know, they've been pretty much playing since they've kind of had their whole team here. So I do wonder if Chicago does go into the post a little bit more against New York, because neither of New York's bigs can really defend post ups at all. Uh, Natasha Howard is in the seventh percentile league wide defending post ups at over a point and a quarter per possession. That's, you know, the highest number of any starting big in the league. Dolson's in the 28th percentile, also over a point per possession. So, you know, Chicago is not a team that really posts up a ton. And and you mentioned how they don't just like attack bad post-up mat or favorable, I should say, attack favorable post-up matchups a lot. But, you know, with this team being kind of so poor at it and not only undersized probably, um, but also a team that just like, they're going to put you on the line if you do do that, if you do dump it down into the post, because neither one of these bigs can defend without following in the post. That is a good point, and it's a good question. I'm not going to put it past this team to attack a matchup that they like. They're very much a feel-it-out kind of team, kind of offense. With the level of playmaking that they have, I wouldn't be surprised if they at least run some stuff going to the rim for Emma Mieseman or Candace Parker. I mean, at the, at the end of that game uh, in New York, where the Sky very nearly pulled it out, the last their go-to play to try to win the game was a Candace Parker post-up that she barely missed. Um, defended very well by Michaela Onyewari, by the way. But that is a good question. That is something to watch for. But at the same time, can they still win this series without really taking advantage of that? I think so. Yeah, definitely. You know, I mean, it's not like they, this is something they need to exploit in order to win this series. Like, they can just keep playing how they have been playing the entire season and still be the better team than New York. So... Is there any chance that New York upsets this guy? No. I mean, there's no chance that they win uh, no. two out of three games. But I think they could take a game and make it, and you know, force it to go back to New York. I think that's definitely possible. I mean, this team is a team that just lives on variance, right? They take the most three-pointers in the league. They hit close to 40% of them in wins. They hit under 30% of them in losses. You know, that's pretty much mirrored by Sabrina Unescu's numbers shooting threes. It's mirrored by Rebecca Allen's numbers shooting threes. You know, Maureen Johannes, her last four games, 19 points, 13 points, 0 points, 18 points. And those are all, you know, those three good games are kind of all, you know, they sparked this offense largely like in the first half when they really had trouble getting going. So when you have just like these high variance players, all you need is, you know, Sabrina is is definitely liable to go, you know, seven for 12 from three in a game or one for 12 from three in a game. Like she's that type of shooter. Like this team is not average because they're middle of the road every night. They're average because sometimes they're really good and they hit a ton of shots. And sometimes they're really, really terrible. Okay. So Chicago fans need to hope that the Liberty are on the terrible end of that spectrum for two out of three games of this series. Okay. Um, Should we move on here to the uh, final first round matchup, the aces and the mercury? Yeah, man, this one's just kind of a, a bummer. This to is talk not. About. Yeah, it's a bummer for sure. Um, Vegas won the season series 3-0. They had a 117.3 offensive rating in the series. Phoenix had a 98 offensive rating for the series. And you know, just to do a little 
table setting for this Phoenix team, obviously very shorthanded. Uh, Diana Taurasi has missed the last few games with a quad injury. She has not officially been ruled out of the playoffs, but was ruled out of the regular season, um, you know, a, a, probably a week or so ago now. Skylar I don't Dick- think she's going to play. Yeah, it doesn't seem like she's going to play, but she was not ruled out at the time that she was ruled out of the regular season. It was kind of a, you know, we'll answer that question when we get there type of thing. Skylar Diggins-Smith has missed the last few games of the regular season as well with personal reasons. It's unclear whether she'll return for the playoffs again. I don't think she's going to play. (laughs) Seems unlikely either will play. And, you know, maybe if this Phoenix team had both of those players, this would be an interesting matchup on paper because, again, of Phoenix's... Liberty-esque high variance and taking a ton of threes and Diana Trossi being a pretty productive player in wins and a very unproductive player in losses. And and of course, Skylar Diggins-Smith, you know, had the potential to kind of be the best player on the floor in any game uh, in, against any opponent, you know, but this Phoenix team doesn't really have that anymore. They don't really have anything. It it really, really stinks how, I mean, obviously, and you can also throw in Brittany Griner's uh, very unfortunate situation over in Russia. Free BG. What does Phoenix have that can give them an advantage in this series? It, it, virtually nothing. Like you look at this game against Chicago that they just played to close the regular season. They were playing some lineups with players who were, I mean, they're replacement level players, right? I mean, hardship contracts everywhere, seven day contracts everywhere. And it's just like, and then you look at Vegas on the other hand, who probably has more juice, quote unquote than any other team in the WNBA right now. I mean, there's not really much here to talk about, is there? No, I mean, maybe you can just say, you know, the... the novel- They're still going to get up a lot of threes. The novelty of Phoenix running their zone, you know, Vegas, no team really kind of sees a lot of zone. I, I don't really consider Vegas a team that's going to struggle a ton against the zone because they have so many dribble penetration options. They have, you know, their kind of mid-post hub of the offense in Asia Wilson. So I don't consider that really a a serious debilitator for this Vegas offense, but you know, they are still going to fire away because it's, it's really all they can do as an offense. I mean, there's just not like a single spot in this rotation. I don't think where Phoenix has a better player or a favorable matchup compared to Vegas. The only thing I can think of is Sophie Cunningham at the four, just bombing away some three pointers because Derek Hamby is out and she is a very switchable player. So it's like, what what does Vegas do there? Because you know they're going to try to adjust to that somehow. You probably don't want Asia Wilson defending on the perimeter because that's going to take away her defensive gifts in the paint. Well, I think what you probably do there, at least for me, is you have Asia Wilson guard Brianna Turner, who's going to be kind of mostly involved in, you know, any of their kind of pick and roll actions and stuff like that. And maybe one thing you could say for Phoenix is that Brianna Turner has played Asia Wilson pretty well. uh, Yeah, she has. Played her pretty well in last year's playoffs. You know, that that's a decent matchup. Obviously, she's not a better player than Asia Wilson, but it's it's at least a matchup that, you know, you feel like you're not going to get completely overwhelmed in. But for Vegas and, and Cunningham at the four, like, I think, you know, this team starts Jenny Sims, who has not really been able to do anything offensively. Like, maybe that's kind of just the player that you, you know, you still treat Sophie Cunningham as a wing. You have her guarded by a wing, and you put one of your bigs on Jenny Sims and say, all right, Jenny Sims, you have, you know, you've barely played in the WNBA in a rotation up until Skylar Diggins-Smith, you know, had to leave the team for personal reasons. So you you be the one that beat us in this three-game playoff series. I was going to suggest going back to Asia Wilson at the five. I mean, this is Who something that hesitant. D- does that include, like, starting Raquana Williams and playing Jackie Young at the four? 
I mean, it could. I mean, I guess the thing about that is the Aces just have never done that up until now. So I don't think they're going to try to change any change what they do just so they can beat a team that they're very clearly favored against by even more points. So, I would be yeah. into it. I don't think it's going to happen. But, I think it'd be cool, but yeah, it would but, be fun. Yeah, but yeah, yeah like, like you're saying, like they, they just don't need to do that. You know, they can just do what they do normally and they're probably going to beat this team by 25 points each game. It just sucks because like with, with Dick and Smith and Tarazi, Phoenix was running some pretty cool four out offense with Brianna Turner at center. And that is a type of system that can generate a lot of three-pointers, and Vegas is susceptible to generating open three-pointers. And it could have been an interesting series, but, I mean, there's just no dribble penetration anymore. There's not a lot of versatile jump shooting on this team. You're going to have Diamond to Shields soaking up massive, massive usage. And if she's the only player who's going to be, like, taking a lot of shots, I mean, Vegas is just going to load up against her defensively. So, uh, I mean, places they don't allow free throws, really. Mercury probably aren't going to get to the line very often anyway without their starting backcourt. They they barely got to the line to begin with, and now they don't have their two big free throw. Yeah, exactly. Drawers. So um, they don't really have anybody to post up. Like it's funny <laughs> when I was looking through synergy, uh, Tina Charles has accounted for almost two thirds of this team's post up possessions, and she hasn't played for them since June. So yeah, I mean I don't really think there's anything else to say here, is there? No, and we'll talk a lot more about. Vegas, I think, over the course of the playoffs as, oh, yeah. they, as they start to, you know, the 1-4, whoever that matchup is going to be, is going to be awesome. Once, yeah, This is no disrespect to Las Vegas, trust us. It's just this it's isn't disrespect a... Com- to Phoenix. No, I'm just kidding. Well, no, I'm... Well, yeah, I mean, it's just not a very compelling matchup. Yeah, it's not. And, I, I kind of wish this, this was Atlanta or even Minnesota or, you know, just about any other combination. Yeah, of, because uh, Atlanta, they've played Vegas tough in the regular season. But, of course, you know, with that loss to the Liberty today... Um, on the last day of the season, that, that kind of sucks for them. But, um, yeah, we will definitely be talking more about Las Vegas unless a crazy, crazy, crazy upset happens. But other than that, uh, I think we're just about done for the first-round preview, Stephen. All right. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, a little bit of a, a long one here when we combine these two sections together, but hope you all enjoyed it. Um, if you want to support the show, you can follow rate and review on apple spotify and google podcasts uh refer a friend if they're in the market for a WNBA podcast tell them to check us out maybe you can follow the show on twitter at double down WNBA. you can follow eric at nemchak e or myself at trinkwald and hopefully you know we'll uh, talk to you soon all right buckle up everybody enjoy the playoffs we'll talk to you soon